Let's pray this morning. Father, once again, we come before you and we are mindful of our need of your illumination for our understanding. Help us to see the truth that you have for us today, that our hearts might be encouraged, that our lives might be changed, that we would see you for who you truly are in every way, and that we would recognize the reality of who we are without you. So, Lord, superintend our time this day, that your name would be uplifted, that our hearts would and our understanding would be expanded, that we might be better Christians for you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, please open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 8 as we once again focus our attention on that section before our time in communion. I want to focus our attention this morning on this final section of Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. Verses 35 to 39. Of course, we are returning to our series of studies that we have done over the last several weeks through this chapter. And if I was to ask you what the overarching theme of this chapter is, I would hope that you would say the theme of Romans chapter 8 is the absolute security of salvation. The absolute security of salvation because verse 1 says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who know God, for those who have a relationship with God, there is absolute security in salvation. If that is not your answer, if that's not what was on your mind this morning, then please, before we get to our text this morning, we need to turn the clock back about 10 weeks and go back to verse 1 and start again. Right? We ought to know that. We have tried to continually remind ourselves of that as we have been studying this passage. And so I understand and I know that that is not the case for you, that your answer would be that it is about the security of salvation because you have heard and you have learned and you have embraced the truth of Romans chapter 8. And so you come here this Lord's Day with that theme on your mind and you're ready to revel in it again. You're ready to just bask in its blazing, shining truth as it settles your troubled heart, as it settles your realities of life here on this earth, as you contemplate all that God is doing in reference to your own life and all the battles in your own life to strive against sin, all the exercise of the power of God that He has given you to be an overcomer, not just, not just of the world around you, but also of your own sinful humanness. In Christ, you have been given everything, as Peter tells us, pertaining to life and godliness. 
so you remember what God has graciously done for you. You remember that He has not only called you, but He has justified you. And He is sanctifying you. And He has done all of these things for you to ensure that you are absolutely convinced of the security of your salvation. How He, through the words of the Apostle Paul, how He has proven to each and every one of us of the absolute validity of what He has declared in verse 1 of chapter 8, that there is in fact no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and He has proven it to us over the last several weeks. Each and every one of us can bank on that reality because of the six proofs that we've already seen. The reality that we have a new position because we are united with Christ. Don't underestimate the little word in. Don't underestimate the prepositional reality of that phrase, that you are in Christ. That is your position. Just as much as you were in Adam before in the fall, you were in Adam, now you are in Christ. And so your unity with with Christ has changed everything. We have seen the Holy Spirit and His work in us, which changes our very character and who we are as we submit ourselves to the very leading of the Spirit in our lives as we looked at that in verses 5 through 13. And not only that, we saw the presence of the Holy Spirit in us or our new identity that we're, not, we're no longer children of the world. We are children of God. We are adopted in Christ. We saw that we have an inheritance, which is glory itself. That's our place. One day we will arrive at that position to which in the mind and heart of God is already a done deal that He also glorified us. And we saw how the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. He is our helper. And then last time we saw the very guarantee of our salvation through the character of God. Verses 28 through 34. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And to whom he predestined, he also called. And to whom he called, he also justified. And to whom he justified, these he also glorified. So now we come to this final section, and we are excited because this is our reality. This is our reality. We have a new position, we have a new place, we have a new character, we have a new identity. This is our reality, the reality of no separation from God. No separation from God. Notice what Paul says in verses 35 to 39. Some some of us know this passage very well because we go to it often. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all of these things we are overwhelmingly con- we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life 
nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reality of no separation. The words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 will not apply to everybody. Jesus says in that chapter that there will be some on that day who will come and say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all of these things in the name of Jesus? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. And yet here in Romans chapter 8, Paul says there is no separation for those who are in Christ. And in all of the previous proofs, in Romans chapter 8, we can clearly see that God cannot fail in doing what He has set out to do. God cannot fail in accomplishing all that He has said for us and all that He has promised to do for us and all that He has all that is a reality in Jesus Christ. God cannot fail to do that. And yet, and yet, I'm sure as we come to this final section that there are some, and really all of us are forced to rightly consider the possibility that we might fail. God certainly cannot fail, but we might fail. What if we should fail? In other words, what if you and I as Christians, what if, what if we as a result of the difficulties of life, as a result of the struggles of life, as a result of the trials and tribulations and sinful battles that we are so close to and we oftentimes lose, what if we somehow or some way, what if we fail? and are thereby separated from the love of Christ. Can that be? Can that be? Let me say it this way. Is there a way in which you and I as Christians could get into such a position in which we would not persevere as a Christian? Is there such a place? Is there such a place? Is the... Is the trials of life and the difficulties of life, the pressures of life, can they be so much so, so that we as Christians would find ourselves in such a place that we fail as a Christian? I don't mean fail in the sense that you as a Christian sin, now we are, we are all sin, but fail in the sense that you stop persevering as a Christian. You see, this is what God through the Apostle Paul is having us consider this morning. Notice the list of possible things that will and do tempt us to fail. Let's look at them. Verse 35. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. I always focus in on that last one. Oh, you know, we all play that game with ourselves. What about the day when someone comes to you and says, okay, deny Christ or die? 
It's over for you if you don't turn your back on Jesus. The pressures of life shall... shall the pressures of life, tribulations, should distresses and persecutions because you name Christ. Nakedness, in other words, someone coming and you, you going without everything. What about those? How are you going to stand up in those? How are you going to remain strong as a Christian? What if your faith fails? Can it fail? And then, on top of that, Paul quotes from the Old Testament in Psalm 44. He says, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. I mean, that's the essence of the Christian life. We are those in the economy of Christianity, in the economy of God, who are like sheep just parading to slaughter. We're like sheep all day long being put to death. That's the reality. That's what Paul is saying. That's the reality. That's the norm of the Christian. Being like sheep to slaughter. That certainly was the norm for the first century Christian in a real way. It's inescapable. Trials, persecutions, difficulties are going to come. They do come just because we're Christians. When you turn to the New Testament, you find the same truth, right? Paul's quoting from the Old Testament here, and yet when you turn to the New Testament, you find the same truth. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. It's an inevitable reality. So the very things that are listed here in verse 35, we cannot even escape. We cannot even get away from them. Oh, sure, God may mitigate the difficulty of it in time and over time, possibly, but you cannot escape these things. There are tribulations, there are distresses, there are persecutions, there are times when you go without food, there are plenty of people in our world going without food, good Christian people, nakedness, peril, there are even those who are dying. And so the question for us this morning is this, how can we ever endure all of that? How can we ever endure all of that without failing? I mean, isn't it possible for us under such pressure upon our own lives, isn't it possible for us that we may somehow fall away from the faith and find ourselves no longer saved? After all, aren't we weak? Aren't we still in this world and don't we still sin? Isn't it also true that the enemy's power is great and that can wear us down both physically and mentally? How do we endure all of that and not fail? How did the martyrs of the past ages endure what they went through and not fail? How did they stand resolute in the faith when the fires were surrounding them and consuming their very bodies as their families were watching on and most of the time their children and wives were right there in the front row? How does one do that? How do we persevere under that kind of pressure? What if I fail? What if you fail? Can all 
all that Paul has already taught us about salvation really be true? Can all of the things that he said from verse 1 up to verse 34 be true in proving to us the surety of our salvation, especially when the trials and the tribulations of life can get so severe? You see, I, I, I would be naive to think that there's not somebody here who's thinking like that. It's inevitable in a crowd this size. We've heard all the truth that's been proclaimed. We've heard all the truth that's been proven about the great proclamation of verse 1. And we clearly understand that God cannot fail. And so we're saying to ourselves, I'm not worried about God failing. I'm worried about me failing. I'm not concerned about God failing. I'm concerned about me. Well, let me just say to all of us here this morning that Paul answers that question in a resounding way. And he answers it right here at the very beginning of this section. He answers it before we even ask the question, really. Notice verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who will separate us? Who will separate you, the Christian? Who's going to do that? That is who the us is referring to there. This isn't who's going to separate people from the love of God as it's defined by many people in the world. No, that's not who he's talking about. He's talking about the Christian. He's talking about the person who does believe in Jesus Christ. He's talking about the person who has been saved by grace. He's talking about the person who does have all that God has promised. He's talking about that kind of person. He's talking about those whom God foreknew, those whom God predestined, those whom God called, those whom God justified, those whom God glorified. That's the us. Who will separate the Christian? Separate. Who's going to create distance and space between you and the love of God? That's the idea. Who's going to separate you, the Christian, from the love of Christ? The only answer to that question is a one loud, resounding nothing. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. Why? Because Paul means by the love of Christ, Paul is not referring, listen to this, this is important, Paul is not referring in that phraseology, our love for Christ. Paul's not referring to that. Paul's not saying, who's going to separate you from your love for Christ? No, he's saying, who's going to separate his love to us? In other words, let this comfort your soul. Let this rest upon it with all of its weight this morning. Paul is asking the hypothetical question. Who will separate us from the love of Christ that has taken hold of us? That's the idea. Who is going to separate us from the love of Christ that has taken hold of you? He's not saying who's going to separate you from the love of Christ, from your love to Christ that you are holding on to Christ with. He's saying who's going to separate you from the love of Christ that has taken hold of you. 
I hope you're hearing what is being said here. I hope you understand the implication of those very words. I hope you understand it. It is the love of Christ, listen, it is the love of Christ that holds us to God. It is the love of Christ that holds us to God. And therefore, what could pull us away from it? Do you see the irony of the question? It's the love of Christ that holds us to God. Therefore, what could pull us away from it? You couldn't. You couldn't yourself. Why? Because your connection to the love of Christ doesn't depend upon you at all. Your connection to the love of Christ doesn't depend upon you at all. Paul is not asking, can your love of Christ stand all of those kinds of troubles and tribulations? Paul's not asking that. He's not saying, hey, make sure you have enough love for Christ in order to endure all of these things so that you reach the end whereby it could be said of you that there is no separation from the love of God for you because you in yourself have this such grand love for Christ that somehow, in some way, all of these things never affect your life whatsoever. What Paul is asking us to contemplate is this. Can the love of Christ to us withstand all of those difficulties? Can the love of Christ to us endure all of that and persevere in all of that? You see, when you begin to see your salvation from that perspective then everything changes, doesn't it? Everything changes. Our Christianity says, I will persevere. That's what our Christianity says. I'll persevere. I'll just pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'll get the right attitudes, right way, right things going. And when all of that's going, I know I will persevere. But no. True Christianity says, I will persevere. Why? Not because of me. Not because of me. But because of God who is preserving me in the love of Christ to me. Do you see the difference? We get this bizarre thinking in our mind that says, oh yeah, the perseverance of the Christian faith is me holding on to Christ. And man, i got to hold on to Christ. And yet what Paul is saying is, no, you'll never persevere any of those kinds of things. You'll never endure any of it. In fact, you'll fail all the time if, you, if that's the way you see Christianity. No, Christianity is the reality of God who is preserving you in the love of Christ to you. So the perseverance of the saints is not the perseverance of the saints at all. It's the preservation of God for the saints. You say, how do you specifically know that? How do you know that's what it means here? doesn't seem to say that. doesn't seem to say that in verse 35 anyway. My answer to that is no, it doesn't. doesn't say that in verse 35. But we know it because of how Paul answers his own question in verse 37. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer, how? Through him who loved us. In other words, it is through Him who loves us in Christ that we are more than conquerors. We are 
people who persevere and will persevere, not because we are loving Christ so much so that it doesn't fail, but because God is loving us. And you notice the exclamation point on Paul's answer in verse 39. Who is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? That's his exclamation point. There is nothing. I'm convinced there's nothing shall be able to separate us. So right through all of this, it is not my love for Christ that gets me through. It's not my love for Christ that perpetuates my perseverance as a Christian. None of that. What holds me in the faith, what causes me And what causes you as a true believer in Jesus Christ, what causes us as Christians to persevere in the faith in a world of trouble, in a world of potential death for being a Christian, is not how much we have a love for Christ, but rather it is the love of Christ for us that causes us to never fail or to lose our salvation. By the way, by the way, did you notice the love of God for us in Christ is a past tense reality? Did you notice that? You say, what do you mean? Well, I mean that when Paul says that we are more than conquerors in verse 37, do you notice he does not say that we, that the way to be more than conquerors is through him who loves us. Did you notice he doesn't say that? It says through him who loved us. It's an important distinction, by the way. It's an important distinction for us to make. You think sometimes we think these little nuances in Scripture aren't important. Listen, God wrote it the way he wrote it because God meant what he meant to say. And he meant to say and meant for us to understand that he loved us, that he past tense loved us. It's an important nuance. Why? Because Paul is reminding us. Paul is reminding us after all of he said in in chapter 8 thus far, he is reminding us that our perseverance, our preservation as Christians is all bound up in the fact that God's love for us in Christ was accomplished on our behalf in the past. It was accomplished before he ever saved us in time. You realize that? It was accomplished just like he says in verse 29, the reality of our redemption being accomplished. God foreknew whom He was going to save. He predestined those whom He was going to save. He called them in time to save them, and He justified them, and He glorified them. This is the same thing Paul is saying. All of these things, in all of these things, in all of the tribulation, in all of the distress, in all of the persecution, in all of the famine, in all of the potential nakedness, peril, and sword, even though we are like sheep going to slaughter, all of those things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us, not through Him who loves us. It's already been done. It's already been accomplished. And so I can stand here today and say about your faith and my faith that 
God will persevere you. You will not fail. Why? Because He has loved you in Christ. What did that love look like? Well, the greatest view of His love was in the fact that Christ died for you, right? God sent His own Son that whoever would believe upon Him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5 says that He died for the ungodly. This is why repentance is so necessary for salvation because if you think you're godly and God deserves you in His kingdom and therefore that's why God chose you because you were so worthy of it, I've got news for you. You're outside of the ungodly category and Christ died for the ungodly. And if Christ is the only way to be saved and you must be in Christ to be saved, if you're not ungodly, then how could you be saved? Christ died for the ungodly. That same chapter tells us that we were reconciled while we were enemies of God. How were we reconciled? By the death of Christ. You see, Paul's point is that Christ did all of that while we were his opponent. Christ did all that while we were his enemy, while we were against him. How much more now will he ever let you or anything else remove you from that love that came and took hold of you? Do you see? If Christ loved you while you were an enemy, if he died died for you while you were his enemy, how much more now is he going to let anything separate you from that love? The implication is that you cannot fail. That's the implication. You cannot fail. I used to think, and this week has just really revamped my thinking of this. Man, as I read the martyrs, could I ever stand there when someone's lighting the flame at the sticks? Or could I ever stand there when someone puts that gun to my head and and not renounce Christ? Would I be able to do that? My answer to that now after this passage is absolutely. You know why? Not because I'm some great guy, but because Christ is. You know what held the martyrs to the stake? It wasn't the, 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 it wasn't the ribbons that had tied their hands or anything else. It was Christ's love that held them there. It's the same thing. The same thing that held Christ to the cross. You cannot fail because Christ did not fail. Even on your worst day, You're not able to thwart the love that God has for you because it is Christ's love to you. It is the power of Christ that holds you. It's the power of Christ that guarantees your faith will not fail. So guess what this passage tells us? 
God allows that one day you be a martyr, you don't have to wonder if you're going to stand strong. The reality is that you will, not because you're holding to Christ, but simply because Christ is holding on to you. You'll be more than a conqueror, Paul says. You'll be, mo- you'll be an overwhelming conqueror. I love that. You won't simply be able to just stand and cope with the situation and get by. That's what we like to think. Oh, I'm trying to cope with it. Ah, you know, life, I'm trying to get along, trying to cope. That's not what Paul's saying. You'll be able to be more than a conqueror. You will be able to do what martyrs do. You will be enabled to praise God in the midst of it. So listen, the Christian is not someone who simply gets by. We're not that. According to the Word of God, we're not people who just try to See if we can muster enough energy for today. No, we are overwhelmingly victorious through the love of Christ to us. And this love of Christ to us will never let us go. He died. It will never let us go no matter what happens. That's why Paul can sum it up in verse 38 and 39 in the way he does. For I am convinced. Don't you love that? Don't you love it when someone has that kind of resoluteness? Don't you love it after saying what he said to us in verse 1 all the way to verse 37 now? Don't you love it when he says, for I am convinced. I'm so glad he wrote that. I'm so glad God says that because I I don't want to hear somebody go, you know, after all that we've heard, I'm pretty sure that you're going to be okay. That doesn't give me a lot of comfort. That's like getting on a roller coaster and putting the bar down. The guy says, is this safe? Yeah, maybe. Hope so. Good luck. See ya. No, Paul says, listen, I'm convinced. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come, powers, height, depth, any other created thing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a great statement. I'm convinced. In other words, in, all, in light of all that God has shown us about Himself, all that He has told us about the reality of the security and absolute validity of all that He said, there is no other possible conclusion. That's what Paul's saying. I'm convinced there's no other way to go. There's no other road out of this. Circumstances may not improve. That's okay. Trials will surely not end. No worries. Difficulties are not going to subside. The world is going to be the way the world is. I am convinced, though, I am of the call of God and nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Being in Christ 
means that you will always be in Christ because He is holding you. He's holding you. And you will persevere because He is preserving you. Here's how the Apostle Paul said it to the Ephesian believers. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood. In Him we have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight He made known to us the mystery of His will according to the kind intention or to His kind intention which He purposed in Him with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of times. What's that? That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. And in Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him. You know what that is? Preservation. You're sealed in Him. An unbroken seal, a seal that cannot be broken. You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. You were sealed in Christ with all of that according to the kind intention of the will of God with a view to the redemption of you. His possession, that's what you are. With a view to that possession, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit on the basis of Christ because of the love of God through Christ to you. All to the praise of His glory. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, you are saved by grace through faith and not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It wouldn't be to the praise of His glory if it was to the praise of your glory for holding on. All of the love of God is in Christ. All the love of God comes to us through Christ. And it comes through Him alone. Not us holding on to God. It is God holding on to us through His love to us in Christ. And so the final proof is that reality. That's the final proof. Nothing will separate us from the love of God holding us in Christ. We have a firm foundation, don't we? We have a firm foundation on which we stand. 
That's a song we're going to sing in just a moment before we go to communion. But I want to just read the words for us. You, we've sung this song before. But I think after what you've heard this morning, you're going to sing it differently. Just listen to the words. These, these, these people who wrote these hymns in ages past knew what they were talking about. Listen to what it said. And one of the verses isn't in our hymnal. It should be, but it's not. But I'm going to read it as well. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said? You who unto Jesus for refuge have fled. Fear not, I am with you, so be not dismayed. For I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of grief shall not you overflow. For I will be with you, your troubles to bless, and sanctify to you your deepest distress. When through fiery trials... Your pathway shall lie. My grace all sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I cannot desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be convinced of your sovereign preservation of our souls Help us to be thankful for this truth that we might never be burdened by doubt. May we fully embrace all that we have been given by you in your dear Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.